0: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health.
1: Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK.
2: Hello, Rush Nation, and welcome to the Five Yard Dynasty podcast. I am your host, as always, Liam, or at the FSA tweets on Twitter. Now, before we dive into the second um, episode in our sophomore scrutiny series, I'm going to hand it over to Rich. So first of all, Rich, how are you doing? And I know that you have a plug that you want to do at the start, not the end of the episode. So first of all, how are Mm -hmm. you doing? Second of all, plug away.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very good. Thank you. I thought I wasn't going to get an introduction then. It was just going to move swiftly into the pod. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very good. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so just I mentioned it right at the end of last week's pod. I think most people probably switched off because we'd started waffling. Um, but yeah, I just want to say, I, as I said last week, I've launched a... It's, it's not a listener league. It's more of a dynasty league just for listeners um so we've got five people in at the moment uh hoping to make it a 16 teamer so if you're interested we'll be a free league with a little prize for the winner um so yeah please please drop me a dm um whether that be on twitter or yeah twitter none of you have got my mobile number i hope um yeah and then we'll we'll get you added um yeah in into the
2: show liam D- does that mean that i'm special because i've got your phone number
1: well, I'm, you've you've got one phone number. You've not got my important phone number. So. Oh, oh! Sound like a, like dr- a drug, drug
0: dealer, mate.
2: Anyway, mate, let's start talking about um, you being a drug dealer and your alternate alternate life because I'm sure this is a uh, separate from your personal. Um, and let's dive straight into the sophomore scrutiny series. Last week we did the quarterbacks and the tight ends from the 2021 class. This week. Surprise. We're going back, going to the running back position. Who'd have thought, who'd have guessed such a surprise. You can all put your shocked faces away now. And Rich, we'll dive straight into it. Let's go Najee Harris. Uh, first running back off the board. The only first round running back from last year. Oh, no, I've just noticed the other name. Two. So he's the, one of the two um running backs that were taken in the first round last year. Um. And he was arguably the running back one or running back two. Or if someone was feeling a bit spicy, the running back three in this class for fantasy purposes. So Rich Najee Harris, take it away, mate. He's currently going as RB two or three in um, most Superflex drafts or drafts in general
1: right now. Yeah, it was an interesting one last year, wasn't it? I think you know you some people the majority of people leaned harris i think some people were were out on the the travis etienne island i think i i, I flirted with it but i think i finally settled on, on harris being the one um and look, he he had a fantastic year however you look at it i think just in terms of sheer volume you know absolutely mind-blowing that that 83 opportunity share is you know 20 20 points higher than anyone else in in this class really last year so you know he he was the Pittsburgh running game pretty much all year almost touched 300 rushing attempts in a rookie year is pretty impressive but what he did with it was also very good I think that Steelers offensive line was was pretty awful um but Still managed to to plug out, you know, some some decent um, yards before contact and things like that. But I think the the biggest, well, imp- the thing that most impressed me with him last year was the the receiving work. You know, ninety targets. That's that's you know, outrageous. When you think of Alvin Kamara being touted as a receiving back and and hitting that eighty one number three years on the trot, Najee Harris kind of blowing that out of the water. Um, yes, it was largely Boyd because he had, I think it was was it a 20-target game he had at one point in the middle of the season. 19, uh, I looked last week, 20. but yeah, 19. And yeah, I mean, that that was huge. So slightly skews the numbers, but when you've got Big Ben, he couldn't throw the ball more than five yards without a wobble. Um, that was going to be, I think, moving forward, as you said, he's, he's kind of running back two, running back three in terms of consensus at the moment. It, there's been slight improvements in the offensive line with Pittsburgh I don't think it's been any wholesale changes that are going to turn it into an elite offensive line overnight but you'd l- like to think that hopefully with a a quarterback that can actually throw the ball further than five yards it might open up running lanes for him a little bit and there's certainly going to be no competition in in the in the backfield to share with him so yeah he, he's my running back three and I, I think he's as safe a bet as you can make at running back outside of Jonathan Taylor. To be honest, he might not have overall running back one upside. I think last year he finished as the running back three, and I think that's probably his ceiling. Um, but yeah, he, he feels like a very safe floor, elite running back. What about you, Liam?
2: Yeah, I'm very similar. I don't see anyone particularly um, looking to take those touches away from him those opportunities at the moment Um the next on the depth chart is Benny Snell Um they did take um what is his name, Anthony McFarland a few years back but he's not showing anything so other than Najee there's nothing there at running back um, maybe they're bringing a veteran just to um take a little bit of the workload and uh, be a bit more of an insurance but I Pittsburgh have always been a workhorse uh, team, and I don't see that changing. Najee is going to be the workhorse for next year or this coming up year. So, yeah, I, I think it is a very safe running back two in dynasty in total. At the moment, I've got him as running back two, and I can't see
1: foresee that changing all the way up until the the start of the season. Do you think for me, he's a player that I've literally not seen moved all offseason? I think people that have him are quite happy to have him and a value him as that running back too. But I can't see anybody paying the kind of two firsts plus to go and get him. Um, I think people are just sort of, yeah, he's good, but he's not, you know, Jonathan Taylor. So I'm just going to leave him sat there and and not even try and buy him. Um, I think it probably
2: is because he's at the top of that tier after Jonathan Taylor that people aren't going near him um, or trying to trade him. I did get him in one league Uh, let me find out what that trade was, but I did get him in one league at the start of the season um, after the start-up, so it was Naji and two firsts, which I'll go and check which first they were but um, Naji for two firsts is basically what you're having to pay for him. I'm not too I'm I'm not like
1: massively out there with with that. I think that's about right. I think what, I'd what need think more his value. I think I'd need more. I think I'd need probably a second on top. To me. If if we're talking 2023 firsts, I think I'd take two. I'm trying to think off the head. Yeah, I think I'd probably take two firsts and a second. I think two firsts probably wouldn't be enough for me to sell. Um, in most situations, obviously every league slightly different, but yeah, I think I think I'd need more. Um I'm
2: just trying to figure out what first they workers. as. Unfortunately, Sleeper doesn't tell me that in their transaction
1: history. No worries. Shall we move on to the the next guy, Liam? So uh quite quite a challenging back in terms of didn't have a rookie season, was uh, was obviously yeah. very hyped, got to go and play with his college quarterback. Um, but list Frank injury meant he's been on the shelf. Um there's, there's stories that he's going to be good to go for OTAs and he's going to be good and healthy to go in, in the next few weeks. Um, and that's, of course, Travis Etienne. So what do you think about Travis Etienne? Obviously, we didn't see that rookie year. Do you think it could be a, a good buy window? Do you think it could be potentially someone to get up in the the sort of same level that we're valuing Najee Harris at the moment? Um. I don't think I'd put him at
2: this top tier. I think he's the, the slight tier below, so about RB6 just after Brees Hall um, or javonte Williams, however you've got those around, Rich. I can't remember. I think you've got Brees Hall ahead. But, um, yeah, I think he's in in that tier three, or has the upside of that tier three at least. Um, I think with this injury, it's kind of soured the taste of a lot of people on him. Um but right now, I think he's quite an underrated player, his ADP. Um, I've been seeing him go as the RB17, 18+, and I quite like him for that upside over a couple of others. Um, For example, and this is probably going to get me absolutely slaughtered on Twitter, but J.K. Dobbins, I, I would take Etienne over Dobbins at the moment just because of that, like... <laughs> It sounds weird, but because of that unknown, I think with Dobbins, you've got a lot of backfield, um, not controversy, but a a lot of threats in that opportunity share, whereas Etienne has Robinson, which, yes, Lawrence wanted Robinson on the field more, but that was because he was getting Carlos Hyde on the field over Robinson. It's not because Robinson is an absolute next world back. Um, I think with Etienne as well, being with the quarterback of his college um, career, then that's going to help him even more. And as we said last week with Lawrence, that whole situation was awful for the Jaguars team. And with Doug Peterson, I'm more inclined to see an uptick in that entire offense, and that's going to benefit Etienne. My one concern with Etienne is... Doug Peterson has shown that he prefers a, a more committee approach at the running back position, and they have a volume running back in terms of James Robinson. And does that mean that James Robinson is going to take more than we expect from him um, or more more than we expect in terms of that backfield? I don't know, but I really like Etienne's upside for where he's being drafted right now. What, where are you standing on Etienne, especially at ADP, Rich?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think I, I was a big Etienne believer last year. I think, you know, with my running backs, I love that movable piece aspect. I love the receiving game usage and and he is that. He's not a guy that's, you know, just gonna line up in the backfield and, and be a two down back and, and you forget about him. Um I think had he been in this year's class, he'd have he'd have probably been my 102. I certainly would have had him over Kenneth Walker as a prospect. I think the fact now we've lost a year of that rookie contract, and, and he's obviously not done the thing for a year. I'd now have Kenneth Walker above him, um, but I think he is still an elite prospect. I think he is still, you know, an explosive athlete that that can go, take the ball to the house anywhere on the field. Quite frankly, um, and I think that he's going to be utilized in an offense that will line him up all over the field. I, I think he, we are going to see him, you know, not used huge amounts as a wide receiver. You know, this isn't J.D. McKissick, but I wouldn't be shocked if he had a, you know, 10, 15% snap share out as a wide receiver, you know, used out of that slot and, and that kind of thing. And that to me is exciting. And I think it it hints at a, a potential, you know, high upside. Um, he's my RB16. Um, I've got him in the same tier as J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson. Um, to me, this is kind of my, don't really know what to do with them tier as running backs of above them. I've got 14 guys that I feel pretty confident are going to produce, you know, solid numbers as a kind of RB1 or fringe RB1. Um, and then Dobbins, Etienne, because Gibbons, Gibson. I, I could see all of them finishing as a, you know, potential top five back next year, but I could equally see all of them not, not finishing as a top 24 back. So I think there's, it's kind of watch what's your flavor Still a, a Craig David song that you're probably too young to even know what I'm talking about. Um, but I think when you get to this point in the draft, as you said, you're looking at JK Dobbins, Travis Etienne, Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, and it's a it's a risk or reward, whichever way you go. And probably we'll sit here in a year's time, and two of them will be studs, and two of them will look completely disappointed. And I'll be honest, I hold my hands up and say I don't have a clue which uh which two it's gonna be. So hang on. I mean, Let's... I think. So I was just to oh, say, let's let's just stick on a point there quickly. You're telling me you have no idea what Craig David, what your flavour is. If I say yes, am I going to get absolutely slaughtered? No, 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 I I expect you to know. So do you have have you heard of that song? Right. Let
2: Let's put it this way. You could name um, a song that I listened to in my childhood on repeat, and I probably wouldn't know the name of it because I'm absolutely awful with song names and song lyrics, however, or song artists, however, I'm actually pretty good when I know the lyrics. I just don't ever pay attention to a song name or a song artist because I like the song. I don't really need to know who sung it or what it's called. So... I don't know it by name, however, if we were to have played it on the stream, then I'm pretty sure I'd have been
1: all right and probably would have known it. I mean, yeah, that that's pretty much the lyrics in terms of it's Craig David and he sings, What's your flavor? Tell me what's your flavor. Can we get a live rendition? No, that's that's as much as you're getting. <laughs> so yeah, the fact so... the fact you didn't know it, we'll we'll move on. Okay. I was gonna move us
2: on anyway. So um just coming back to Back to the point on Etienne, I think with all of that tier, I think you can see them go in, or the the range of outcomes is kind of like a CEH at the moment, where Clyde Edwards Zilleri is basically not valued at all in the dynasty community, and that's in part his high expectations going into his rookie year not coming through, as well as having an injury last year and having Darrell Williams um, take over a lot of that workload because by the looks of it, Clyde Edwards there wasn't healthy coming back from that injury. But I can see all of them drop into that sort of value in this tier. Equally, as you said, you can see a bunch of them going up and becoming the, the next youngish running back, mid running back ones that are taking over from those 26, 27-year-olds that are a little bit pushing on the older side, as we've spoken about on the um, fancy Wildcard stream on Saturday. If you haven't watched it, there's 16 hours. We we're at the second hour, so that tells you where we are. But um, check it out if you haven't. Anyway, I'm not going to plug any more, Rich. Third um, running back on our list, third taken, it was in the second round, and it was John um, Javonte Williams. Now, he was my running back two. Um, I know a guy in one of my leagues that had him running back one. He was extremely high on him um, and he called him Javante Bay, who is extremely um, high on Javante Williams. I wasn't as high, but I really liked him. And I thought him and Najee Harris were closer than people thought. Um, and his value, Javante Williams, value has skyrocketed and I don't think that was necessarily, um, I don't think the Melvin Gordon expectancy to be signed was really brought into that at the start of this off season. I don't know about you, Rich, but I haven't seen a real change in the value, but I've seen people less willing to sell him now rather than at the start of the off season since that Melvin Gordon signing. So Rich, let's talk about this in two steps. We've got this season, which is what Melvin Gordon has signed for, because um, last season when they were both playing for the Broncos, they had a, a basically a 50-50 snap share. The, the Broncos were extremely good at keeping that 50-50 snap share. If you look at most of their games, it will be very close to 50-50, if not 50-50 between them. So do you expect that this year? Do you expect anything else from Gervonta now that they've got an upgrade at quarterback? And then the second part to that question is, what do you see for the future? Maybe when Melvin Gordon has gone, do you see him always being a, in, a, in a 1A, 1B situation like he is for the first two years of his career? Or do you expect him to take a workhorse role or have someone small coming back in, kind of
1: like an RG Harris um, style situation anyway? Yeah, I, I really like Javon Day-Williams, the player. I think he's a fantastic back. I think he's he's got the potential to be incredible. But I, I think the hype got a little bit too far. Um, you know, this is a guy that some people were holding up as the RB2 in terms of dynasty, yet only finished as the RB24 in terms of points per game last year. And yes, I get that he was sharing a backfield with Melvin Gordon, but... You know, he still had a 50% opportunity share. Let's not pretend that that's tiny. You know, most elite fantasy backs will be around that 60 to 70%. Like, he wasn't miles away. Um, I'm a a little bit concerned that Melvin Gordon is back. I think, to me, that shows that Denver want him to be part of a 1A, 1B. Yes, I think he'll probably... T- tipped towards more that sort of 60% opportunity share with Melvin Gordon taking a slightly reduced role. But I-, I think the the price, you've probably missed your sell window, but the price got crazy high two months ago. Um, you know, I don't hate him. He's-, he's still my RB6 in terms of where I've got him ranked. I think he's he's got the potential to be a league winner. Um, and he's the-, the young guy that I've got ahead of the Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Derek Henry tier because of that youth piece. And I think he could be fantastic. But I am a little bit concerned that he's only ever going to be a a 1A and never just be a true one, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. So I think for this year, you're probably looking for a little bit more. Um, Like you said, probably a 60% target share and therefore more points. Um, but you're probably looking at mids running back one range, uh, running back two range. Is that what you, you're thinking for fantasy points wise?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think I'd project him to be a fringe RB one this year. You know, uh, because that sort of eight to fifteen range is always basically if you play seventeen games and you're you're semi decent, you settle in there. So I reckon that's where he'll probably settle in this year, and and I think that hopefully next year. He can he can kick on from that, but I think if you're expecting him to be a top five back over certainly this season, maybe even into next season, I think you you probably need to call the Jets a little bit there. Um, you know he he's he's in an offense that let's not forget has added Russell Wilson and has got you know an incredible set of weapons when you look at Sutton, Judy, Hamler, Albert O. You know that that. Tim Patrick, like it's it's a very good receiving core. So this, this isn't going to be a team that's going to run the ball 30, 35 times a game.
2: So for when he goes into year three, um, which would be next season, 2023, what do you project for that situation then? Because as you said, you, you can kind of see him having a bit more of a role than he will have this year and, and slowly creep up in opportunity share. But the one game where he had a 78% snap share, which is the only game he had over 60% snaps, um, he scored 29.8 fantasy points. And that is with nine nine targets, uh, 100 yards rushing, 76 on the ground and a touchdown. So do you foresee, I'm not saying that's going to be every um, game, obviously, but do you think that, he's going to be a lot more consistent in those mid teens upper uh, upper teens pushing into the twenties if he was to get a say 75%
1: time to- uh, 75% opportunity share. Let me let me just get my crystal ball out and uh, and try and get into the future. <laughs> I think look a, a lot a lot depends on basically what your what they bring in. In that, you know, if they bring in another Melvin Gordon like player in 2023 then I'd probably wouldn't be so confident that he's going to get that. I think if, if, you know, if he gets a fully fledged role, he could be an absolute star. I, I just don't know if that's hundred percent going to happen. Um, I'm sounding really, really negative about him, but I do, I promise you, I do like him. As I said, he is my RB six. I just think that there is quite a tear break for me between that top five and, and him at six. And I've toyed over the last 48 hours between dropping him behind Austin Eckler.
2: Okay. I kind of like that, but I also think Eckler is pushing towards the end of his career now. And that's where I struggle with it. But points wise, I can totally see it for the next season or at least two seasons because I don't think Eckler is going anywhere, even though his contract just kind of make him a bit more cuttable next year. Um, I don't think Eckler's going anyway. Anyway, let's move on Rich because we've spent 25 minutes on the first three players, so we need to speed up a little bit. But I have a feeling we're going to speed through this one. So the next running back off the board was Trey Sermon in the third round. Now, Rich, <laughs> uh, he, he didn't come out of nowhere. However, I don't think many people were expecting him in the third round and be the only running back in the third round last year. Uh, he went to the 49ers and everyone thought it was a great landing spot. And it kind of was, but not for him. Um, he came into the, into training camp and was beaten out by the sixth round, Elijah Mitchell, who will cover a bit later on. And that is the end of his season, basically. he He didn't really recover from getting beaten out in training camp. I mean... The highest snap shares he had were 59 and 51%. And that was in weeks three and four. Um, and I believe I'm just double checking that Elijah Mitchell was injured during those games. Yeah. Yes, think, he was. So he was he was the only running back there, basically.
1: Yeah, I think look, it comes down to basically with Trey Sermon. Do you think there's a chance that he could carve out a role this year? And for me, 49ers answered that by going and spending another third round pick on on a running back you know i i didn't love trey sermon last year he was my rb5 in rookie drafts i had him behind michael carter and i think that a lot of people overhyped that landing spot and yes it is an incredible landing spot but as we've seen you know it's an incredible landing spot because they can do anything with anyone basically and I think that for me, Trey Sermon's basically now a, a roster clocker. I just can't see a world in which he becomes anything usable. I legitimately don't think I'd pay. I don't think I'd pay a, th- a third to acquire him right now. I think, yeah, if someone offered me Trey Sermon for a third, I think I'd probably decline. And and this is a guy that I don't value third and fourth round picks at all. So. Yeah, I I'm out on Trey Sermon. I've got no interest, and think we can probably just move on.
2: I I'm very similar. Um, The only thing I will say is it's purely down to um, what Elijah Mitchell did last year and the fact that the 49ers brought in a new running back. In Uh, I want to I've just checked the pronunciation, so I hope this is correct. But Tyrian Davis Price. Um, So with bringing him. Uh, Davis Price into the third in the third round. I don't foresee a role for Sermon. I see um, Davis Price as being very similar to Sermon, and as you said, I think they the 49ers answered the question on Sermon. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's cut maybe after this season if he doesn't show anything, which is surprising for a third round rookie. Yeah, um, I wouldn't. Third I wouldn't round be. Sh-
1: I wouldn't be shocked if he was some one of these guys that gets traded in camp for a conditional sixth or a conditional seventh that if he doesn't make the roster doesn't turn into anything because yeah I I don't really see a hole for him in, in that 49ers offense. But moving on to the fifth running back drafted um let's just say his his value has changed slightly in the last two months. That's Michael Carter. Um obviously had a, a decent rookie year, flashed quite well uh particularly with Mike White in at quarterback. Um, and then the Jets traded up and, and got Brees Hall and and his value has somewhat plummeted. So, what do you think of Michael Carter? Do you think he's he's still gonna have a role, or do you think he's just gonna be uh, potentially a high end high end handcuff? I do think
2: he's gonna have a role. I have no idea what that role is going to be. I'm gonna take a, a guess at third uh, as, as a third down back, but. That this is your team, Rich. I don't know why you're asking me questions on who's going to have what role when you are much more clued in on the Jets. Um, I think that Carter going forward in fantasy purposes is a great kind of back to try and and, and hedge your bets on. Um, because if in the unfortunate circumstances where Bruce Hall goes down you know what you've got in Michael Carter. He's going to be a top 24 back. He's going to step in and be able to do everything he's already done last season. And now that offense has had a step up in terms of the talent that they've brought in. So I think that Michael Carter still has a role. And I think that the community maybe is undervaluing that role slightly in that the hype or the what's the opposite of hype is has gone too far. Um, the, the hate, I suppose, has gone too far on Michael Carter, but um, Rich, I know you're dying to talk about him because you get to talk about Brees Hall. So take it
1: away, mate. I think that for me, I, I, I'm the kind of opposite of you. I think that his value is still too high. Um, I think that people are holding out hope that he's going to carve out a, you know, a third down role. But to me, Brees Hall is a a fantastic receiving back. And I think that every time you're taking Brees Hall off off the field, it's a step down. Um, I think that in year one, I've said that I expect the Jets' backfield usage to mirror what the Colts did in Jonathan Taylor's rookie year. So where Jonathan Taylor started off as a kind of a 50-50 and gradually picked up more work as the season went on, and Michael Carter in that kind of Naeem Hines role. Now, I, I like Michael Carter the player, but this is always the risk of a day three running back that is undersized, that's that's always going to have the chance for somebody to come in and kind of usurp him. I think for me, I'd, I'd basically value Michael Carter now as a younger Alexander Matheson. I think he is going to be an elite handcuff. I think he's an elite backup, but I don't think he's going to have a huge amount of standalone value. I don't think he's going to be like a a Kareem Hunt that you can still start on a weekly basis or a James White on the hope that they get six or seven targets. I think for me, Michael Carter's going to be one week he might get five or six targets and six six or seven rushing attempts and, and finish it with a good week. But I then wouldn't be shocked if the following week he had two and two and and put up a donut in terms of fancy points so yeah i'm i'm concerned i'd sell now for pretty much any 2023 second round pick straight up for michael carter um and i think people would probably still still happily pay that for you right now
2: so if you think that hall is going to be slowly brought in and it's going to be a, a, a gradual takeover well do you think that Michael Carter is a better sell at the start of the season? Or do you think right now it's just better to get what you can and, and cut ties with that completely in case that that bet is
1: kind of wrong? I think it depends. I think it depends on what you can get. As I said, I think if you can get a second for Michael Carter now at 20, 23 seconds, um, I'd, I'd pull the trigger on that personally. Um, but if you think, if you can't get that and you hold out for the beginning of the season, he has a couple of decent starts. Brees Hall is a little bit slow out of the gates, then yeah, may, maybe you can have a, you know, a, a get a bit more. The thing for me is, I think that this Jets offense, in terms of the running game, I've been, yes, I've been very sad and gone back and watched each game from the Jets <laughs> twice so far this offseason. But I think that the run, I, I came away really impressed with the, the offensive scheme in terms of the running game. I think they schemed up to get the guys in in position really well. I think the problem was, was that the, the backfield was a joke and you had old man Tevin Coleman, you had Austin Walter at one point as the leading rusher, And I think that was the problem. I think they had two gaping holes on the offensive line, but what the scheme was doing was actually very good. And I think that, you know, the Jets have reinvested in the offensive line again this year. The Jets have now brought in Brees Hall. I think this this offensive running game is going to be very good. And I think that if Michael Carter gets a chance early in the year, I wouldn't be shocked if he had a couple of maybe one or or two good games and it gives you a sell window on Michael Carter and a buy window on Brees Hall because I think for me, in a year's time, I think we're going to be sitting here talking about Brees Hall as you know Jonathan Taylor 2.0 and I think Michael Carter is probably going to be sitting in that Naeem Hynjer where you can't give him away for Toffee.
2: So let's move on, Rich, Uh, the next running back. Was Ramondre Stevenson he went to the Patriots, and I don't know about you. I wasn't a huge fan of him going into the draft, and this landing spot didn't really change. Um, it would change that. So the, the the interesting thing about Stevenson is he he wasn't horrendous. He he did well when he got given the opportunity, but um, Damian Harris was was the the lead back there. He's the one to own. Now, with Romando Stevenson and that entire Pats uh, backfield, you've also now got Pierre Strong and um, Kevin Harris both drafted this year. I believe it was in the fourth and the sixth round. So it's not like their top premium backs, but we know what this backfield does. You've also got James White coming back um, to, to snap up all of those um, targets. So what do you foresee for Stevenson because pre-draft I couldn't give him away for a second like I I thought that was pretty fair value pre-draft now I I can't get him I I can't see
1: a world where I can give him away for a third see I I am really intrigued and I really like for Stevenson I think that perhaps I'm too infatuated with you know I love a bigger back that can catch the ball and that's exactly what he is and I think (laughs) that he's got the potential to take over this backfield. The problem is you've just listed five running backs there. Like, do, do we know who's going to be, you know, is Damien Harris going to get all the work? Is, is James White going to settle back into his third down role? Is Jermonde is Stevenson basically going to end up the year with like 100 rushing attempts, 30 targets, and, and be nothing but a roster clogger? That's probably the most likely outcome. Um, I do like taking a punt on him. Um, I've certainly got quite a few shares that I've picked up this offseason um, I'd, I'd happily pay anything less than a second I've picked him up for two thirds in a couple of places I've picked him up um, for a third and, and KJ Hamler like I'm, I am I quite like taking a punt on him just because I think that the running game is always going to be important in that Mac Jones led offence um, and I think that Ramon J. Stevens is kind of a Damian Harris injury away from potentially being a League winner, um, so I'm happy taking a punt on him. It, he's he's basically to me in in that same high end backup tier, though. So he's in the same tier as you know Michael Carter, Tony Pollard, um, Alexander Mattison, Those those kind of guys that you're, you're basically an injury away from real fantasy success. But as I said, he's he's young, he's big, he can catch the ball, so I'm worth taking a flyer on him. See. Uh... As I said, I
2: tried selling him before the draft. I have tried selling him after the draft. I can't get anywhere with it. Um, I think need for the price you're buying, I'm holding you everywhere. You in more leagues like. with me, Liam. I'd happily buy him off you for um, less than a second. Um, I don't think I'd be selling him for less than a second, purely because of that upside. But uh, two-thirds could maybe talk, but uh, we're not in enough leagues, and together at least, and um, I don't have him in any of the leagues, I believe, that we're in. So let's move on, Rich. You've got Tuba Hubbard next now. This one, he had his shot last year and he didn't really do anything with it. Um, So he went to the Panthers and the lead back there, Christian McCaffrey, went down through injury. um, And Tuba Hubbard had a few games where he had the opportunity to take over and he just didn't now Rich, what are you doing with him because i think if you've got him he's dare i say it nearly nearly a drop candidate i mean um christian mccaffrey going down led mike davis to have an absolutely amazing um season for for against expectation i should we say now I'm I'm saying that Tuberville didn't really do anything. He has had multiple games over ten points, um, where he was targeted a bunch and scored touchdowns here and there. But I can't foresee a world where they that the Panthers trust him again now. Now that that he's kind of lost that trust, they brought in Dante Foreman uh, this off season who um, came back from his Achilles injury a few years back. Uh, with the Titans last season, and took over from Ter- Derrick Henry's role, and looked really good down the stretch um, for for the limited time that he had. So, do you foresee um, Foreman's role basically, or, or Foreman being brought in to take over what Tuba Hubbard could have had if he had done more more consistent work last season?
1: Yeah, I, I basically think that that Tuba Hubbard is, you know, I'm I'm not dropping him. But I, you know, I I don't think he's worth particularly rushing. I'd I'd sell happily for a third. Um, I'd probably sell for less than that, to be honest. I think, you know, he meant you mentioned he had his opportunity last year. That week three to week eight stretch, he had a fifth over fifty percent snap share in every game. You know, he had he had two games where he saw 24 rushing attempts. Um, he didn't finish with a top 15 week. Um, despite the fact that he he did have the the opportunity to, you know, basically take over that backfield, and he didn't show. And and I think that anytime you've basically got a backup, which is what he is, you know, Christian McCaffrey is quite clearly ahead of him, and you're relying on an injury. And and even when Christian McCaffrey went down, he didn't take hold of that backfield, and and he wasn't, you know, hugely fantasy relevant. Um, you know, he had. Four top twenty-four weeks. He didn't have a single top twelve week. You know, I I don't really want a guy that I'm relying on an injury. And even when there's an injury, he's only going to be his his upside. He's kind of an RB two. So <clears throat> yeah, if I I don't want any part of him, I'd happily sell him and and take a punt on um another player. I I just think he's you know he he had that incredible uh, I want to say sophomore season where he had. 2, 2,000 rushing yards in college and then disappeared at the end of his, his final year in college and you know, it shows that that final year was the real Tuba Hubbard because he certainly uh, didn't impress uh, last year in the NFL. So yeah, I, I want no part of him. I'd, I'd happily, you know, if I could sell him for a P.S. Strong, a Tyler Baddy, you know, someone like that, I'd, I'd be doing that all day. Okay,
2: so Let's move on because the next player on the list is my favourite player on the list. Um, Kenneth Gainwell, he was my running back darling coming into last year. He was taken in the fifth round, which broke my heart when I was watching the draft. Um, Now, Rich, I want to throw some stats at you and (laughs) let's see whether I can change your mind because I already know that you're not a huge fan of Kenneth Gainwell. Um, However, let's see see if I can throw some stats. So he had a 26% snap share last season in 15 games. He started none of them because he has Miles Sanders in front of him. Miles Sanders was injured for a a decent portion of last season, which causes some concern. But my biggest thing with Kenneth Gainwell is his fantasy points per touch during the entire last season – was more than anyone else in this rookie class in the 2021 rookie class um, at the running back position. Let's just clarify that. So he has 1.2 fantasy points per touch. In the rest of this class, the next highest is Michael Carter at 0.9, and then a few backs at 0.8, so Najee Harris, Javante Williams, um, Eliza Mitchell. So that is where I'm starting and then I'm going to throw this one at you as well. So he sh- he saw a 10.8, um, 10.7% target share last season. Now, only one running back in this 2021 class saw more, and that was Najee Harris because of what we spoke about earlier. Now, with their off-season, the Eagles off-season, they haven't really done anything running back-wise. They, they've not been in the news at all, really. Um So for me, I'm expecting a good jump um, this season from Gainwell. I think it's going to be Sanders' last season in uh, in the starting role. And although I wanted Gainwell to be a lot more than I probably think he's going to be now, I think that he's got the upside of being a 1A, 1B role and being that third down back and being lined up outside of the backfield a lot more often than people think. But to give clarification to the listeners, last season, um, he didn't do very well at all. He ended the season as the PPR uh, PPR running back 42. Uh, he only had one, two, three, four, five games over 10 points, um, 10 fantasy points in PPR. And they all came from when he scored a touchdown. So, Rich, I've thrown a lot of stats at you. Uh, from your face, take it away with why I am way too high on Gainwell, even coming into the, this season, when you can probably get him in, the say, the 13th, 14th round, maybe. Yeah. I haven't got the
1: ADP in front of me right now. I just don't know what potential upside you're hoping for. I think that the best-case scenario for Kenny Gainwell is that he is a good complementary back. And I don't think he is ever going to be more than that. We have already talked so far this episode about what happened with Michael Carter as a day three running back that isn't equipped to have a a full three down role and and, and has been replaced within a year. Yes, the, the Eagles have got Miles Sanders, but I wouldn't be shocked if he moves on if they come in and bring somebody in to, to usurp both of them next year. And I just don't know if Kenny gamewell's ever going to be anything more than a complimentary piece. Yes, he'll he'll you know he'll absolutely have some flash weeks where he'll catch, you know, six or seven passes, a touchdown, and and put up a really nice fantasy week. But I don't think he's ever going to be someone that you can reliably start. And I think even if there was an injury to Miles Sanders, I can't foresee game well being that that huge feature, feature back. So I'm concerned. I, I certainly, you know, I'm, I'm lower than consensus on him. I, I get the appeal in terms of his potential of what he can do with the ball in his hands, but I just don't know if he's ever going to be able to carve out. I don't think he's so electric that, you know, he can be a, you know, like a Darren Sproles was where, he can he can take ten touches and and be an absolute fantasy star. I don't see that for Kenny Ainwell. I think he is going to be nothing more than a RB three, RB four for the rest of his career. And and I just I just can't pay up for that. I would much rather take guys in in his tier in terms of price range that I think have got potential. To to become a feature back, you know, I would much rather a Brian Robinson or or someone like that, or, or you know, a Khalil Herbert that will come to shortly, over Kenny Gamewell for me.
2: I will point out that I have uh, Khalil Herbert and Ramondre Stevenson above him. However, I just think that all of these um, stats are not predictive, but um, show the upside that he. He can have, and that's kind of what I'm buying at the RB40 uh, price that I've got him in my
1: rankings at. I would um, say you also, you also find that a lot of backs, particularly in reduced roles, have incredible efficiency stats. I remember Gus Edwards, I want to say two or three years ago, he averaged like eight yards a touch Um, because he, you know, Kenny Game was probably getting the ball on, you know, third and 20 he's being handed the ball and and he's picking up 15 yards on a, on a draw and and situations like that. I think you find quite often that guys in reduced roles have far better efficiency than someone who's, who's having to carry the rock 20 times a game.
2: Okay. I'm going to stop you from breaking my heart now, Rich, and let's move on. (laughs) Um, So the next one on our list is, the biggest surprise from this draft, um, and that's Elijah Mitchell. We've spoken about him briefly um, in a couple of other um, players' talks, but Elijah Mitchell came basically out of nowhere. I mean, there was a guy that I was targeting in the fourth round of rookie drafts last year because I liked his profile and he went to a decent landing spot. Um, if he could become on that one, and he did, I'm not saying that that is a foolproof um, process because it's pure luck at this point. I don't think anyone really expected Elijah Mitchell to beat out Trey Sermon in the th- third round running back in camp, let alone going into the season. So just so Elijah Mitchell for me I find it difficult because I feel like that backfield had so many injuries that led him to become fancy relevant that that is not the only reason that he's there, but is a big reason that he was where he, he, he's being drafted right now as well. So you had, correct me if I'm wrong, Rich, but you had um, Jeff Wilson in front of him at the start of the season. He was injured. You had uh, Raheem Moster. You had Trey Sermon, who wasn't injured, but as we've already spoken about, didn't really impress See, he had a bunch of guys in front of him that either got injured or didn't impress. And he he was kind of the last person standing. And if Paul Pickens is listening, he's going to... I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get a message from him because Elijah Mitchell is his guy. But I think with the 49ers taking a third-round rookie running back, that kind of says what we need to know about Elijah Mitchell's potential or usage this year. I think it's going to go down. So last year he had um, all of his games that he played in were over 50% snap share, um, or most of them were over 60% or over 65%. And he didn't play in three, four, five, six games. So I think when he played, he showed up. But do you factor that to the scheme where are you trying to take him in drafts at the moment because i feel that i would much rather have a lot of guys around him in adp
1: than him himself i really like Elijah Mitchell. i think he is i think he's a great a great player because he's he's the, the back in in a san francisco 49ers scheme and and you know we talk about every year for i think it's the last four years the if you add up the lead back for every game they've been a top three fantasy back on the season so if you can you know harness the 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 RB1 for this 49ers and they stay healthy then it's it's absolute fantasy gold I think that for me I am buying into the potential dip in value because people are that's the concern is that everybody's concerned that he's going to be replaced and I think that there is the opportunity that he could easily outperform his price. It is not without risk because, you know, as we saw with Trey Sermon last year, there is easily a chance where, you know, Elijah Mitchell turns up late for a meeting and then he's in Carl Shanahan's doghouse and and doesn't play again for the rest of the year. So there is a huge amount of risk, but I just think that the risk reward for me is potentially massive. So I, I really like him at a value. I really like him where he's going. Um and I'm I'm pretty happy taking that risk. Um but I'm I'm comfortable knowing where I'm taking him. It is a risk. And you know you've kind of got to weigh that up of is my roster in a position where I can afford to take this risk? You know, I would I probably wouldn't pay a 2023 first for him. Um, I'd pay a first if I was getting maybe a second back, something like that. Maybe I'd pay a first and a third if I was getting a second back for him. Um, but I think that he's he's got the potential to finish as a top five fantasy back this year. And I don't know how many other guys you can honestly say that about in the range where he is going. I think... The issue I have is the safety net that you
2: have on him. Now, I'm not a guy that when it comes to my RB2 is concerned about a safety net. However, I think Elijah Mitchell's range of outcomes is completely wild compared to anyone else in his range. So I'm not looking at ADP, I'm looking at our consensus rankings rich. You've got David Montgomery around that range. You've got um I'm trying to pick players that you've got ranked around or behind Elijah Mitchell that I've kind of got in front as well. So um Josh Jacobs is one, but I would much prefer over Elijah Mitchell just because of the wide variety of outcomes. And as you said, you're you're basically betting or hedging your bets that Elijah Mitchell is going to be the running back one in that backfield. And I don't think he is going to be that it, it, for for a good portion of this season which for a, a running back two in, in the what basically when you're when you're trying to build your roster he's he's going in that rb2 maybe again him as an rb3 um but he's going in that range and that's kind of what you want i would much rather take a dare i say james connor or leonard fournette because i i just feel like their upsides even though they're older. I feel like they're in all; they're all very similar situations in that they could all be running back, top top six, maybe top three running backs any given week. But I feel like their safety nets are a lot higher
1: than Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, I I, I completely get it. I think it's it's a it depends a lot where your roster is at. I think for me, Elijah Mitchell is the perfect guy to go and target. If you're, you know, in in that retooling category, if you're perhaps got an ageing roster that kind of needs to win now, but you're not an absolute contender, maybe you need to go and take a punt on someone like Elijah Mitchell that's got that elite upside that can be that riskier play that could, you know, the reward could be huge. But if it doesn't turn out, then, then you're just in a rebuild scenario. So I like the risk. I like the price, but you've got to go into it knowing the potential risk.
2: Okay, so let's move on, Rich. Um, I think we're going to skip through this one very quickly because there's not much to talk about. So Chris Evans is the next running back that we've got that was taken in the NFL draft last year. Now, he didn't really do anything all the way through the year. He'd probably taken as a fourth-round um, rookie pick, if not a fifth round, or going undrafted, depending on how long your rookie drafts were. Um, he had the max of seven rushing attempts. He only had a rush, or only recorded a rushing attempt in four games last season. Rich, he was more of a pass-catching back, but that is loosely used. He eclipsed three targets just once at five. He had three targets once, and then a couple of twos and a, a few ones in there as well. So, Rich. I don't foresee Chris Evans being anything ever. Unfortunately, that could come back to bite me. But um, the, the, Brown, oh, the the Browns, the Bengals, have shown that Samardzija P Ryan is that number two backup role um, in case Mixon does go down. Um, so I just don't foresee a, a future for Chris Evans in fantasy, at least
1: no I mean he flashed in a reduced role last year um when I think Mixon got injured or um um he partnered with p Ryan in in that one or two game stretch um but when you're third on the depth chart and you're you are a past game specialist i I don't foresee him him ever carving out a massive role you know he's someone that i'd I'd keep on the end of my bench but if you're expecting him to turn into anything you're you're probably you know got the wrong expectations, quite frankly. Um, So that was short and sweet. That's probably the quickest player we've
2: ever talked on in the history of the pod. Um, Moving on to the very last guy that we've got on the list is Khalil Herbert. Now, um, he hasn't shown anything apart from that four-game stretch where he had over 15 um, rushing attempts and had a great like opportunity to share because what was that?
1: Sorry, I said I feel like that's a bit harsh. You said he hasn't shown anything except that four game stretch where well, he's only a rookie, he only oh, 17 games, four, four game stretch when you're the clear backup is is a decent stretch. I'm coming to it, Rich. Let me get there. So in
2: that four game stretch, he did become um, a, a great waiver wire pickup in a lot of leagues if he wasn't already taken in in your dynastic leagues. Um, he scored 18 and 19 fancy points in two of those four games, um, both of which, oh no, sorry, only one of which had a touchdown, so that takes away that point. But in those games, he was extremely efficient on the um, on the ground, or extremely productive on the ground. Sorry, not efficient. He was kind of used in a pass-catching role during those games, but that's about. It, I mean, outside of those four games, when and Montgomery came back, there wasn't much else to speak of. Um, the, the snap share went right down. So during those four games, he had a 50% snap share during week five, which is where Montgomery went down for an injury. The next three weeks, he had 89, 77 and 84% snap share. And then after that, it went right down and he didn't an eclipse 25 after that point. So... To me, he is a clear, great upside backup. And I think that's kind of what you're expecting from, or what you're hoping for from a fourth-round rookie pick. But I think with Herbert, if you're expecting anything more, you may need to look at the stats
1: again. I'm going to disagree in that I really like Khalil Herbert. I think that he showed enough in that four game stretch that I think he's going to be their their lead running back next year. I think that yeah. we talked about this we talked about this with with Justin um Justin Fields that the Bears are in a strange situation where you know the previous regime had, had bet the future and and kind of that last roll of the dice on Justin Fields to basically try and keep their jobs. They traded the 20 22 first round pick to move up to get fields. That didn't work. The roster is in a complete shambles. They've got you know huge amounts of dead caps that they're spending this year. And this regime has basically come in and said, we're not going to spend any more cap money. We're not going to kind of trade into this draft. We're going to start our rebuild from 2023. So David Montgomery is a free agent after this year. I think David Montgomery is gone. I do not foresee Chicago re-signing him. And I think that a team, when it's starting that rebuild outside of Seattle, um, I don't foresee them spending high draft capital at running back. I think running back is one of those pieces that you, you add in late. You know, you look at the Jets, they spent a day three pick on Michael Carter and then they're a year further on and then they go and add someone. So I think that Khalil Herbert, if you would say to me what his is his, his percentage chance that he's the RB one in 2023, I personally would say greater than 50. percent So, wow. I think that Khalil Herbert is a sneaky buy that could give you some some decent handcuff, decent backup um, now. That could potentially be a you know, I don't want to say the name because. I feel like they're different players. I feel like it gets overhyped, but I feel like he could potentially have an Austin eckler like career where he, he sits wow. away, toils away for, for the first two years on special teams yeah. and back up. And then he gets that opportunity. And I'm not comparing him to Austin Eckler because Austin Eckler was incredible in a reduced role where he was incredibly efficient in the passing game. That's not Cleo Herbert. But I think that Cleo Herbert could flash, show some flashes again this year and then 2023... That's where you're getting a dirt cheap, potentially RB2 for fancy. So I'm not a huge fan
2: of that take, however. <laughs> um, That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of the take. I can see him becoming like a 1A1B, but I can't foresee him doing much else outside of that. Um. Yeah, I think that's all I've got to say on him, really. He's got great upside for when he gets the opportunity, but I really do think that his his upside is going to be uh, a more 1A, 1B role and probably the 1B in that, in that style offence. <laughs>
0: that's just a projection.
2: I don't have a crystal ball. That's it.
1: Well, that's it. I've put my crystal ball away after um, after we talked about uh, <laughs> Williams, so I better go to get out the, out the cupboard. Um Yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. We'll we'll agree to disagree. I won't I won't yeah. basically repeat myself again. But I, I, look, it's a massive punt, but I think at the price you're having to pay,
2: yeah,
1: you know, I, I like what, the yeah, value I think, play. Like, probably a third, maybe maybe a third and a a player, maybe two thirds, something yeah. like that. I like the value play. Yeah. I, I like the
2: idea of picking him up to then sell him on next year when David Montgomery hasn't been re-signed. And even if he has, you haven't really lost anything because his value isn't going to go down by so much that you're you're losing out on what a third. I, I like that side of it. I just don't think that he's going to be a clear one. Um, but, Rich, before we sign off, there's one more player that I'm going to mention because he is a packer, but I'm going to end it short and sweet because he has an injury and I don't want people to forget that we have... what is
1: that? I kept him off because I didn't want to mention him. But, yeah, go on. You can, you can have some packing I, up. I,
2: no, I only want to mention him because I don't want people thinking that we haven't done our homework or we don't know our stuff. So, Kylin Hill was a seventh-round pick. He got injured on an awful um, – no one's fault, but awful play um, that was quite scary at the time. And he didn't really do anything in his um, rookie season because of that injury. He was kind of limited to special teams. Um, I think going forward, I'm not expecting anything from him if you've got him. He is one of Richie's roster cloggers. Um, but yeah, he's got AJ Dylan, Aaron Jones in front of him. And I can see when Aaron Jones does go either next year or the year after, um, with the Packers taking a running back, um, in the draft to, to replace Jones. So, um if you it's want int- to add anything, you are more than welcome to. I just wanted to make sure the listeners knew that we actually did know our stuff and we haven't just missed off a guy that was drafted.
1: Well, we've technically we've missed off seven guys because there was eight, 18 I'm running backs drafted <laughs> last year. But I tried I tried to only include the ones that I thought were interesting and relevant because let's be honest, people don't really need to hear us talk about Carlin Hill, do they? So um yeah. You no, know, but
2: I wanted some pack of love, especially with a t-shirt that I'm wearing. So um you saw through my plan completely. Anyway rich jam-packed show completely over about five minutes over, but that'll do. Um, so the one thing we wanted to plug before we went was the UK FFC. Um, if you are in the UK, me, rich, um, Dan, the host of the flagship show and Pitsy, one of the great writers. Um, and I believe he also edits for five yard, um, have all banded together. And I'm sure you've heard us speak about it before but banded together to create the first fancy Expo-style event in the UK. Um, as, we, as I said, we're calling it the UK FFC If you are interested, there are going to be stalls, panels. There are a whole list of panellists that we are revealing. Um, that Some of them are already out there. So make sure you go to at underscore UKFFC on Twitter. All the information is there. If you want more information, message us on there and one of us will respond. But, Rich,
1: nothing else from you? Nothing else from me. I'll
2: I'll shut up and let you finish. Just the listener league from Rich, then. If you are interested, make sure you drop him a message on Twitter, at Dynasty Island. And until then, guys, have a great week. See you then.